If you are just joining us uh, for the first time in a few weeks, or it's your first time ever, uh, we launched a new teaching series two weeks ago, the beginning of February, called The Basics. Um, The the Basics is really about uh, understanding the simplicity of what we call the gospel. Uh, The gospel is a word that's used in church. Um, If you've been around the church, you've probably heard it. But sometimes it's a word that carries with it some confusion because people use it in different ways. But most simply, the gospel is a word that means uh, the message uh, of good news. It's delivering a message of good news. And so when we talk about the gospel in church, at its simplest, we're talking about the good news about who God is, who we are, what God has done for us, and the life that he has called us to. And so the basics is an acronym that helps us remember the simplicity of the gospel. And and ultimately, the aim is that not you would just understand it for yourselves, uh, but that you would be able to articulate it to other people. So when you have conversations with coworkers, with classmates, with teammates, and and you're sharing with them about how life is different for you because of Jesus, that you could help them understand the basics for themselves. Uh, The basics is an acronym. Each letter represents a different part of that simple gospel message, that simple good news. Uh, just as a review, uh, for those of you that have been with us and, and for an introduction for those of you that haven't, uh, the B uh, in basics just stands for big God. And I know the word big is probably feels a little bit cheap to describe God, um, but, but the reality is, is that all of our words fall short. We have an incredible God who made us, uh, whose greatness no one can fathom, the psalmist tells us. And he's a God who loves you, a God who created you. He created you in his image. He, he wants a relationship with you. He has purposes for you. He has a design for your life. He has intents for your life. Uh, that's, that's, what, that's what God wants. He made you. He created you. He forms you in his image. He's a big and mighty God who, who, who wants you to live for him and experience the fullness of his life. And yet last week we saw there's an adversary. Uh, there's an enemy. There's someone who is opposed to what God wants to do in this world. His name is Satan, and he's enlisted a host of other uh, supernatural beings we call demons who wage war against what God wants to do in this world. And, and, and part of the war that he wages is to deceive us and to trick us into believing that there's a better way than God's way. And when we rebel alongside the enemy and the adversary, we sin, and it damages our relationship with God. And yet what we're going to see this week is that God has provided a solution in Jesus and through Jesus, a solution to sin, a solution to evil. And Jesus invites us to experience life the way God intended it. And through the power of his spirit, he enables us to live life as God intended it. And as we do, we are changed. We are transformed. We are made new. We experience more of what God intends He changes our hopes, our dreams, our expectations, our wants, our desires, our views, our worldview. And then as we are changed, we we continue to live a life of surrender. And I gave you this picture of of your hand. You can remember it this way. You have uh, the B for big God and the A for the adversary and the solution that's found in Jesus. And he invites us to follow him and experience his life. He'll change us. And then you're left with an open hand, which is an open hand of surrender. We continue to live our lives for him. If you are new or if you've been with us, I want to remind you that there's a reading plan that goes along with this series. Audrey mentioned this just a few moments ago. And if you've not read uh, along up to this point, you can just jump in at week three. Uh, They're on the table out here in the, the foyer. You can also go online to our main page of our website. 
and you look for the graphic for the basics, and there's a, a link right there where you can download, download the file for yourself and have the reading plan, and you can read along. There's some helpful suggestions on the back uh, about how to maximize that time reading the Word uh, with God and with others. And then we're also publishing every week um, a discussion guide that goes along with it. You can use it in your life groups. You can use it as a family. You can use it as an individual as you spend time reading the Scriptures each week to help you better understand the basics, the simplicity of the gospel. On the table, we have every week's discussion guide out there. And so look for week one, week two, or week three. Today, we we turn our attention to solution. Uh, The solution for this sin and evil problem that the adversary so desperately wants to overtake the world. He sows seeds of deception and rebellion all over the place. And when we look in scripture, if you read any of the readings this week, you see that the scene changes pretty quickly in the garden. In the Garden of Eden, we have this beautiful scene of, of, of humankind, Adam and Eve dwelling with God and uh, experiencing his fullness and his presence. They're walking with God in the garden in the cool of the day. And then when sin enters the world in Genesis chapter 3, Uh, suddenly there's a divide. There's a fracture in the creator's relationship with his creation. And it doesn't take long for us to see how that is growing. It's almost like a a cancer that metastasizes and and begins to take over the human race. We see in in chapter 4 how Adam and Eve's son, Cain, kills his brother Abel. We get a record of some generations, and by the time we get to Genesis chapter 6, this is what we read of the state of humankind, and how sin and evil have wrecked God's intents and his design and his purposes. Genesis 6 verse 5 says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. And so from the beauty and the perfection and the brilliance and the radiance of the Garden of Eden, uh, just a few generations later, things have completely changed. The adversary, this enemy of God, has has done his dastardly work, and, and people are living opposed to what God has designed them for. And yet even in Genesis, we we find these seeds of God's solution. Because we can move on to Genesis chapter 12, and God has a man named Abram whose later names, his name's changed to Abraham, and he promises that his offspring will be as numerous as the stars in the sky, that all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through him. And so we see God beginning uh, to craft this incredible rescue plan, uh, this solution that will ultimately come through Jesus. Now we could turn a number of places in scripture to identify uh, a passage uh, that tells us about the significance of the solution that God has supplied in Jesus We could look on the Old Testament. We could look in the New. Um, We're going to look at a few passages today, but the one we're going to primarily focus on is Colossians chapter 1 to help us better understand how God has supplied the solution for our sin and evil problem uh, in Jesus. Uh, It's a passage that that Sean read through last week as he shared for our communion time, Colossians chapter 1. The whole section is Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, but we're going to focus on verses 19 through 23. Uh, The whole passage is about Jesus, about his greatness, about his supremacy, Uh, but here's what Paul writes that specifically relates to Jesus as our solution. Verse 19, Colossians chapter 1, it says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. 
And the him is Jesus. We know that from verse 15, that the son is the image of the invisible God. So we're talking about Jesus here. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, to dwell in Jesus. And through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And how did he reconcile all things? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Verse 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he, God, has reconciled you by Christ's physical body, through Jesus' physical body, through death, to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. And that remains true as we continue in our faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope that's held in the gospel, the good news. This is the gospel. This is the good news that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. And we're going to take this uh, verse by verse here for a little bit. Uh, Verse 19 tells us that God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus. That's pretty remarkable. Uh, In fact, we might even say it's kind of awe-inspiring that the fullness of God, what makes God so incredible, what makes God so great, it came and it dwelt in Jesus. The fullness of God was in Jesus. It's the mystery that we commonly call the the, the incarnation, that the God would come and put on human flesh. It's what John describes in his gospel in John chapter one, where he says that uh, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only God who's come full of grace and truth. When we see Jesus, we see God. It's not just Paul that would say this. It's not just John that would say this. But Jesus himself says, I think it's in John chapter 14, that I am in the Father, and the Father is in what? He's in me. And and so there's this uh, picture, there's this truth proclaimed in Scripture that, that in Jesus we have the fullness of God. And what I love about what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 119 is that God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus. Like God wanted to dwell in Jesus. God wanted all of his fullness. Why would God want all of his fullness to be present in Jesus? Because he wanted to make right what had gone wrong with sin. He wanted to make right what had gone wrong because of humanity's sin. And so in verse 20, we see that he wanted to reconcile to himself all things. What did God want to make right? He didn't want to make right just the relationship between humankind and the creator, but all things, things in heaven and things on earth. But most significantly, he did want to make right the relationship with humankind, with us. How did he do it? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I've told you this many times before. This is old news to you if you've been around LCC for a while. But the concept of peace that Paul uses, that Jesus uses, is a peace that is not like the peace that we speak of in our Western societies in America. Our peace is more about tranquility or the absence of conflict. Peace for the Jewish people, the Hebrew word is shalom, it's this idea of completion, of wholeness, of well-being. And so when he says that he brought us peace 
through his blood shed on the cross, he reconciled things. He brought them back together through, um, through, through his death, and that makes us whole again. It brings well-being to us. This word reconcile is pretty significant in Paul's letters. It's significant in understanding how Jesus is the solution for this evil and sin problem. Uh, it's one of the words, and we're going to look at a few this morning, that, um, that gives us this beautiful word picture to go along with it. So the word reconcile in scripture or reconciliation, it's a relational term. It has to do with taking a relationship that's been broken and fractured and making it right and putting it back together again. Being reconciled is taking what's fractured and broken and making it right and putting it back together again. And so when we, when we take where we've been so far, we have verse 19, that God was pleased to have all this fullness in Jesus. And why did God in all this fullness want to be present in Jesus? Why, why did he want to do that? To, to make right what had gone wrong through sin. To repair the relationship, to repair what was fractured. And how did he do it? By making us whole, by making us complete, by making us well, by, by making peace through his death on the cross. There's this word that we use in scripture sometimes, it's called the atonement. It has to do with satisfying a debt or a penalty. It literally means to cover over. And we talk about Jesus coming and dying for the sins of the world and to conquer evil and to bring new life and to restore what God had done, we use the word atonement. That, that, that Jesus, through his death, made things right. He reconciled them. Here's how 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God took the one who was perfect, who knew no sin. And he said, I'm going to put sin on you. So those of us who are sinful could believe in him and we would get his righteousness. He makes this incredible exchange. And so when we think about Jesus as the solution, we see that we are broken, we are wrecked by sin, the adversary schemes, and yet God in Jesus says, I'm gonna send somebody, I'm gonna send myself, and I'm gonna die and take your sins upon me. So as you trust in me, now you can live as though you're without sin. You can be righteous in my sight. That's how God supplies the solution. Verse 21, again, the emphasis is that he, re he reconciles everyone, but the emphasis is here on the significance of our relationship as human beings with God. He says in verse 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. We were estranged. We were alienated. We were fractured in that relationship, but God has reconciled. He's made it right. He's brought us back together by Christ's physical body through Jesus' physical death to present us holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. I love this final word here uh, in verse 22, accusation. If you were with us last week or you go back and you listen to our podcast or, or watch the video, uh, you'll see that one of the schemes or the plans or the, the character traits of the adversary is that he accuses. And yet through Jesus' death, through sending his son to this earth, we can be presented to God free of what? Accusations. So there is, there's this new life. So again, keep that picture in mind, reconcile. That's, that's how we can view the solution. What's broken and fractured and destroyed by sin in our relationship with God is made right. 
But there are other words scripture gives us. And so we're going to pause in Colossians 1 for right now. And I want to take you to 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2, a disciple of Jesus, Peter, uh, you read all about him in the Gospels, is, is writing about what Jesus has done, how God has supplied the solution through him. And here is what he says. We'll look at verse 24, 1 Peter chapter 2. Speaking of Jesus, he says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Different words, but a very similar message, right? To, to Colossians chapter 1 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That, that Jesus took our sins and he died and when we believe, we get his righteousness. But instead of using the word reconcile and giving us this picture of a repaired relationship or something being made right in our relationship with God, Peter gives us a different word. He uses the word healed. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. What a different picture. Same solution. Just another way to, to, to imagine, another way to picture it. Healing to us uh, gives us these images of, of diseased bodies being remedied and uh, things that are broken being fixed and, and made whole in our body. And that's an image that scripture gives us to understand the solution of what God has done in Jesus. Peter here is actually quoting from an Old Testament passage. You might have a footnote in your Bible and it might direct you to Isaiah chapter 53. And Isaiah chapter 53 is this whole um, writing inspired by the spirit to the prophet Isaiah about how Jesus would suffer and how we all like sheep have gone astray and yet God has laid on this suffering servant. He's laid on Jesus the sin of all of us that by his wounds, we might be healed. So it's another great way to picture the solution of Jesus is that we are diseased by sin. We're deformed by sin. We're made sick by sin. And yet Jesus provides a solution by bringing healing. Uh, another word that scripture uses is the word redeem. If you would turn to Titus chapter two. Uh, Titus two is another great summary passage of what we call the gospel, this good news about who God is and who we are and what he's done and what he's called us to. I want you to listen because the word redeem shows up in the end. Titus uh, writes, and he says, for the, for the, sorry, Paul writes to Titus, for the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. That God in his great favor has sent someone to bring rescue. And that grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to say no to the schemes of the enemy and the evil one, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus. We're waiting for Jesus to return. But this Savior Jesus Christ is the same one who gave himself, verse 14, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. Again, similar language to 1 Peter, to 2 Corinthians, to Colossians, that God gave Jesus to die, to, to solve this issue of wickedness and sin and evil. But instead of using the word heal or healing or reconcile, Paul uses the word redeem. And that word redeem is this picture of liberation. 
where we're set free, where someone's enslaved, someone's held in bondage, someone's held in captivity, and they are set free. They're redeemed. They're liberated. Uh, A word that that, that pairs with redeem really well is the word ransom. It has to do with paying the price to free someone. And what did Jesus say of himself? That the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to do what? To give his life as a ransom for many. This image of redemption and pain to have someone set free, again, is this powerful word picture to understand what God has done in Jesus. So if you're tracking, there's this big God who loves you, created you, forms you in his image, has plans and purposes for your life. And yet there's an adversary who is opposed to what God wants to do in your life and through you. But God made a solution by sending Jesus to do what we could never do for ourselves, to take upon himself the sin that separates us from God, to carry that sin to the grave, to die for it, so that all who place their trust, their hope, their faith, their belief in Jesus can now be uh, given the righteousness of Jesus and be restored in their relationship with God. He reconciles, he heals, he redeems. And by the way, this solution is for every single one of us. Not just us in this room, not just us that will be here in the next worship experience, but for every single one of us in the world, every single one of us who who will be born, the ones that have come before us. That's the scope of God's solution. Sometimes we need to be reminded of that. Uh, Scripture is clear, and the New Testament is clear, that again and again, that this salvation is for all people who would turn and believe and trust in what God has done in Jesus We just read it here in Titus, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Uh, We could go to a more famous scripture probably, John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Look at the global language in that. For God so loved the, oh, it's gone. Can they come back? Yes. For God so loved the world that whoever believes, and he wants to save the world. There's this global language. The scope of his solution is for everyone if we would believe, if we would trust. And so when we think about our big God who made us and formed us and loves us, who has a purpose for us. And we think about the adversary who's, who's, who's wreaked havoc and sowed these seeds of, of, of deception and deceit and despair. We have Jesus, God's solution to provide us with life. And he invites us to follow him. Look at that next week, the invitation that God gives to us. And as we follow him, we're changed by him and we're made new and we live these lives of surrender. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Who God is, who you are, what God has done, and what he has called us to. How much sense would it make for someone to solve a serious problem, and yet for the people who the problem was solved for, not to accept that solution? I was curious this week about some of these uh, problems that have been solved in our world, solutions that have been uh, found, and, and how they kind of changed life for people. And I came across a number of stories. There have been a number of inventions that have solved problems. But one that kind of caught my eye was the invention of something called the clasp locker. I think I even have a diagram for you. 
So in the late 1800s, a man named Whitcomb Judson, that's an 1800s kind of name, he had a dear friend, and his dear friend suffered from debilitating back problems. And so his friend couldn't get out very often because he couldn't even bend over to tie his shoes, and so he would stay in his home. And so Wickham Judson said, I want to solve this. I want to give my friend freedom. And so he created this invention called the clasp blocker, where instead of having laces on a shoe, he would put this device on the shoe, and his friend could reach down with a stick or a pole and hook it through the eyelets on the clasp blocker, and he could pull, and his shoe would be pulled back together, and it would be on his foot securely. And so his friend from that day forward could then, without bending over to tie his shoes, lock his shoes back up, and he could go out and he had new freedom. By the way, the clasp locker invented by Wickham Judson gave way to the zipper in 1913, which then was uh, taken to a fashion show in Paris around 1950 and took off, and now you and I have zippers all over the place. And it all started with Wickham Judson, who cared about his friend, who created this solution called the clasp locker. Now imagine being Whitcomb, you create, you spend all this time, you make so your friend can have freedom again, and if your friend said, no thanks, I'd rather sit in the house and and do nothing. And yet, how many people in our world know of their sin, know that there's something off because of the evil and the recklessness in our world and the chaos, How many are told that Jesus is the solution and yet we refuse to accept that solution that God has provided in Christ? It seems absurd to reject it and yet so many have. And if you're a person in this room, if you're a person watching online and you have yet to accept the solution that God has provided, you can do that right now. There's this beautiful way that scripture articulates how you can come to to experience the righteousness of God in Christ. We believe. We have faith is another word we use. We, we trust in what God has done. And we choose to align our lives around it. And that means that we repent. There's this word in scripture, repentance. You've probably heard of it. It means to do an about face. We go from living life for ourselves, what we want, and we say, no, God, because you're real of who you are, I'm gonna instead live, I'm gonna live for you. And as we repent, we we confess that you're going to be the Lord. You're going to be the master. You're going to be the king of my life. And part of that is that faith drives us to be people who identify with him in baptism. Again, we have a baptistry right over here with a cover on it. And when we are buried in the waters of baptism, it's as though we're being buried with Christ. Our sins are buried with him, and we rise uh, new children of God with his righteousness, and his spirit fills us. And then we live the rest of our lives in the power of the Spirit in this new way of living. And so if you're here and you have yet to experience the solution that God provides, you can do that today by by putting your faith and trust in him, repenting of that sin and that wrongdoing, confessing him as Lord and master and king and choosing to live in him. If you'd like help with that, we do have a decision team now every Sunday. Uh, There will be at least two people at the front of the room who are here to talk with you and help you process the decision that you may want to make in faith to follow Jesus. And so take advantage of that. They'll be up here as soon as our closing song ends. But for those of you in the room, as I look out, I know many of you are already followers of Jesus. So how do we live in the reality of the solution that God has provided? Part of it's being intentional. We need to create rhythms uh, uh, in our life to reflect on what God has done for us. To be reminded of the great price that Jesus paid, how God supplied the solution for us. 
One of the ways that we do that is when we gather together as a church body, we celebrate communion together. We celebrate the Lord's Supper. And when we take that bread that represents Jesus' body, Jesus met with his disciples in a room in Jerusalem the night when he was betrayed, and he ate the Passover meal with his disciples. And when he took the bread, the gospel writers tell us he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body. It's given for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. And then he took a cup of wine, and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. It's my blood. It's poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It was this picture in the bread and the cup and what we call communion of God's solution in Jesus. And so every time we get together as a church, we have the opportunity to pause, to go to one of our communion stations. They're all around the room. To, to grab the double stack cup that has a piece of bread and juice in it and to reflect on Jesus, the solution for the sin and evil in the world, the solution that God has supplied to us. And so we're gonna end this message with me praying and then following my prayer, you're dismissed to grab communion and come back to your seats and then we'll sing a closing song together. God, I thank you. I thank you for the solution that you have given and Father, that you have supplied in Jesus. God, I, I do pray that those who have yet to follow you would be drawn to you. Um, I pray you would guide our decision team in helping people as they make those decisions of faith. And Father, I, I pray that uh, as we spend the next few moments reflecting on your gift of your life and your death on our behalf, um, that you would just stir us and remind us of this incredible solution you've provided. Lead us, Father. Help us. In your name we pray. Amen.